Welcome to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Join the podcast mogul Phil Better as he interviews successful entrepreneurs that make their living in the digital world. Now, let's join your host, Phil Better, and his special guest today on Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm, of course, your host with the most Phil Better, and today I'm very, very excited because we're going to be talking with a guest that is pretty much... Uh, a visionary, if you will, uh, co-founder of multiple companies in the world of AI. Um, currently, we're going to be talking about his latest project, Smith OS, which is a very interesting uh, company that's at the forefront of revolutionizing artificial intelligence systems. Um, Smith provides the foundation platform, Smith OS, to bring his future to life for governments and enterprises worldwide. Our guest has been a person from Houston for 20 years. He's equal parts computer scientist, entrepreneur, and marketer. He co-founded, like I said, multiple and sold multiple large marketing agencies and is a thought leader in both SEO and AI and widely respected for his innovation and vision. Please, ladies and gentlemen, Alexander Der Ritter. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Um, glad to be here. And by the way, that little intro bumper there, that's like made me smile. So. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, uh, that's my main goal to make sure that our guests here on, on Invest in Yourself, the entrepreneur, Digital Entrepreneur Podcast, have fun. They enjoy themselves. So I'm glad I was already able to bring that smile to your face, Alex. Um, I gave you a, a wide word-filled uh, intro, but I would love to hear it from your words. Who are you? What is it that you do? Yeah, so um, I'm an entrepreneur. That's also equal parts uh, computer scientist and um, with a specialization in um, we know web technologies, machine learning, and uh, also equal part uh, marketing uh, hacker mindset. So I uh, I love where um, where humans and technology intersect. Oh. And what got you into this? Like, what made uh, young Alex or middle middle of the road Alex decide to jump into the world of like marketing, AI, entrepreneurialism? Well, what was it that sparked you to get into this world? Well, um, if you've seen like the Disney movie Moana, there's like this moment she wants she's drawn to the ocean, and her dad says, "No, you got to stay on the island." But of course, the solution to their problem is off the island. She has to get off. And the dad keeps saying, you can't go, you can't go. And she questions her ability to like cross an ocean. And one one day she discovers like this cave of the ancestors mm -hmm. and she sees all these old ships and where her ancestors crossed the world's oceans to get to that island in the first place. Because how did they get there, right? And uh, realizing that it's really been inside of her all along. This is who she is, where she comes from. Uh, like gave her the strength to then go on her journey and 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 do it essentially what she was born to do, which was cross the oceans. And this is why like the life of those people is they live on many islands. They have um, overcome incredible um, incredible difficulties like with the ocean and so forth. So my ancestors were traveling salespeople uh, who would go and sell land merchandise made in Flanders, like linen and straw baskets and so forth. And they would load it on horse and cart, go to the north of France and uh, go from town to town, not come back until the last item was either sold or traded. Um, if it was traded, it was for shoes or wine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, I'm um, not. I was my ancestry was bow making in Normandy, so like I, I, <laughs> you're getting wine and shoes. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact is, I have a. Um, uh, there's a town in uh, in Belgium, um, and um, and and there's a cemetery there where there's many generations of of um, those family members are, are buried in that same cemetery, and all of them had the same thing. They um, they they were traveling salespeople. Uh, so you know, I traveled from being born in Belgium. I traveled to the United States, and I made my career here. Um, Sales is something that comes along naturally to some people being able to explain what you're doing. Um, but the, my love for computer science really started when um, I had an uncle who was on disability. And so he couldn't, he couldn't do his regular career. And he picked up a hobby when I was, um, it was in the early 90s, he picked up a hobby of building computers. Mm-hmm. And my parents were always busy working, so I would... I would just go to his house and help him build computers. And then one day when I was 13 or 14, I got my first computer. It was, I was 13 and it was a 386 and I immediately started programming. Um, and, um, yeah, I really never stopped. Um, you know, bash, um, um, and then moved into, um, Pascal and then Delphi. Delphi was like the first object-oriented programming language available to me uh, at age 16. And then, um, you know, from high school went straight into computer science. This kind of how I got into that. Um, straight out of university, my first job was at the marketing company. And um, I had read a book the day before applying, uh, Ajax for Beginners, and that was brand new like uh, right off the shelf of the com- local computer store. No YouTube at that time to like teach you stuff. <laughs> I and, remember uh, those days, very difficult to learn anything <laughs> if you're yeah, a visual learner. Went to went to my job interview and said like, I'm, I'm Belgian's number one expert on Ajax because I was the first who had my hands on that book. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is some large cojones to pull that off. And right? obviously it must've worked. Got the job. Um, and did amazing things there. I had a blast at that company, uh, you know, built like the world's first uh, email uh, pixel tracking to see if the email list was valid or not. Built some crazy campaigns for um, for some European car brands as well. Multi-channel, like omni-channel kind of campaigns, which you can really do in Europe because uh, a lot of people use public transportation and then there's a little newspaper that's in in like the stations that everybody reads and gets their news from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also like, um, you know, boy meets girl on a train. They look at each other, but they missed connection. And so boys like, oh, man, if only I can see that girl again. What do you do? You know, you write an ad in that newspaper. And of course, the next day she would see it and feel like, oh, <laughs> I need to get back in touch with him. Um, so everybody's in on that. And so when you can combine um, these offline methods with online methods, you can create some really creative, um, marketing campaigns. Uh, um, and, and so I really had my love for web coding, web programming, etc. Then when I came to United States, um, I had a little, my first job was uh, knocking doors. Uh, well, no, I, I did not know anything about how to get a job in the United States. So I knocked doors 
and at office buildings and be like, hey, I just arrived here from Europe. Um, I know how to do this, this, and this. Uh, are you looking for a, a program or something? And within one day, I got a job. And so just arrived here. I mean, I mean, it's a bit unconventional. Everybody else was going through recruiters. I was just like knocking doors and say like, here I am. You're looking for someone. That and just shows determination. Like you're like, I'm not even going to wait. I'm going to go to business and show them how dedicated I already am. So that's, that's a plus. Plus, like you said, everybody's going through recruiters. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and then like in no time, I got into machine learning. Uh, I got into learning. Um, I, I really got good at outsourcing starting in 2008. Um, really good at building teams. And then um, in my work of machine learning, the neural networks came around in 2012. And I saw that they were going to replace the traditional way of like feature extraction. And then started seeing things in the internet marketing space. I knew search engines were going to change based on neural networks. Started building a rank content candidate theory. Um, got a few patents issued in this space of, uh, of AI reverse engineering, Google's black box. Uh, started a few agencies uh, to uh, build two and, uh, and exited from two. And then... Um, Try to spin off some of the AI technology that we were using for enterprise as a consumer product. Uh, that became Inc. for all.com. Um, so, so underestimated in terms of what it can do. So powerful. I mean, um, people should be paying 10000 a month for that technology because <laughs> if they know how to use it properly, like we, we took it on one website and grew our site from 50,000 visitors a month to 1.3 million visitors a month in 16 weeks time. Where do you get that kind of ROI in the marketing world? Um, but ChatGPT came out like last year and everybody is now an AI company. And there's so much noise in the market, like so many... I'm just going to call it like posers and, you know, listen, you have years. You can definitely call people a poser inside the AI. You are like yeah. you said, a visionary in this, or I called you a visionary. You didn't say, put those words. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but yes, you can say poser. I would bow to that and uh, allow it. Yeah. So essentially there's so much noise out there. Now, here's how to do this. Here's how to do that. And ChatGPT became so popular. I figured, you know, SaaS is going to have a really hard time surviving in a world that's dominant. And, and so I think that the way that SaaS companies survive is by integrating with the AI assistants. Mm -hmm. And so then in, um, in March... GPT-4 was released and in the release notes, bef uh, and there was about a week bef between the release and Microsoft releasing a paper. It, it was something like Sparks of AGI or something like that. They had done a six month study before they released it in partnership with OpenAI where different research scientists had explored the limits of GPT-4. And um, I immediately recognized um, GPT-4 was an entirely different animal than GPT-3. And, 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 and specifically because it is able to use tools. So it, when, when humans figured out how to harness fire, we left caves when we figured out how to use the wheel. I mean, you had roads, you had cities, you had civilization, you had farming. Mm -hmm. Insane uh, inflection point, right? 
And then when humans uh, figure out the printing press, a few hundred years later, humans walk on the moon. Like, let that sink in. The ability to use tools changes everything, you know? Um, strip us from our tools, and we're a Netflix show of Alone and Afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Uh, so true. Right? So GPT-3 is that episode, but GPT-4 changes everything. So... So here's like, I want people, audience to like really grok what's happening here, okay? You're asking an AI to do something that it does not know how to do, but there's a SaaS out there that is good at it, that knows how to do it. AI is now capable to recognize its own limits, realize that there's another product out there that can solve that problem, go and figure out what the API calls look like, make a proper call inferring from your problem what the input parameter should be, call that API, wait for a response, get the response back, interpret that response, and continue with solution building. Jesus. When GPT-4 came out and I read the initial capabilities and we did our initial tests, uh, we immediately started working, immediately, uh, started working on um, on a framework that is was very very similar to what later became a little hype on the internet called AutoGPT mm -hmm. to try and really test the, the limits. As soon as we saw somebody make a similar system open source like an op AutoGPT, later also Baby AGI, we stopped that work because we realized that um, it's pointless to build the same thing that people are building the world over. But as these uh, frameworks were maturing, we were noticing that um, there were significant problems with the way they were implementing it. And one of the problems you have with these pro uh, programs like AutoGPT is what's called the alignment problem. And the alignment problem is basically making sure the AI does what you want it to do. Now, we've all heard on the news or personally experienced in our own entrepreneurship, this uh, random employee who goes on Twitter and says stuff that is like really inappropriate and you have no choice but to fire them, even though they're like really good at their at their skill because mm -hmm. they made some kind of company scandal or like reflects really bad on your values and you can't have that. Well, this is what uh, what an alignment problem looks like with humans. <laughs> it doesn't align with what we our values. Yes, I yeah. can see like it's the uh, the square of uh, chaotically good, uh, chaotically right. evil type thing. Yeah, okay. So, you have to align the the uh, the AI with uh, where we fall on that alignment. So the solution that the industry has: Google, Microsoft, Amazon, everything, and that Auto Auto GPT has is basically. You're giving the keys to the car. And it's like giving your 12-year-old without driver license the key to your car and be like hoping nothing bad happens. Um, AutoGPT figures for itself out how it's going to go about solving a thing. And that might include, include in the future browsing, signing up for services, and grabbing data without human input in, in the loop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what could go wrong? Um, now, that is constrained in its potential damage. Uh, people have done the, what was it, the $100 challenge or something, mm -hmm. and they tried to make AI make them $100 online with AutoGPT. And um, the, you know, the best it could come up with is 
find a website to see if you had some unclaimed money and then fill out a form. And there you go. It made a hundred dollars, but overall I got too many obstacles, too many blocks. So people are thinking about alignment in this way. Well, let's make, let's make auto GPT type models work with the next generation GPT five Google's Gemini. Um, and surely those are going to be way, way, way smarter. They're going to get even better at using tools, even better at problem solving. But yeah, they can get so good that they can also decide, you know, to do things that are totally not what you intended to do. And, and when you give them too much access, that can get really scary outcomes. You can't have that. Mm-hmm. So um, the alignment problem is a real problem with these systems. And so we took another route. We feel like um, there's also a, an economic an economic part, not just the alignment part, but there's also an economic part to this. Throwing the largest, most intelligent model at every problem is like you throwing your frontal cortex at the 99% of stuff that your limbic brain can do. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense, right? You'd be crippled. Uh, you, you sometimes see these movies like A Beautiful Mind, where the guy's like supremely intelligent but lacks like basic functions is because he's does doing everything in like his big brain and, <laughs> instead right? of the the, right. the reptilian brain that can and there's and there's like a real reason why you wanna you wanna constrain the outcome in a process that you approve within guidelines and guardrails that you approve. And then only use the, the an AI that is as smart as it needs to be to get the job done, right? So, like having like a robot vacuum and I robot in your house is like one thing. All it can do is vacuum. You're not gonna wake up one day and be like, "Hey, I made you breakfast." <laughs> I'd be a little worried if my vacuum made me breakfast, <laughs> right? So you see, that's a great example of like alignment. The robot cannot exceed its parameters and does not have an intelligence individually to do more than the task that it's given. Even though you could say that basic intelligence, decision-making, interpretation, and deciding what tool to use to achieve that specific task is something it can be augmented with. It's not all of a sudden going to launch, build and launch rockets, right? So... Uh, these are some of the some of the challenges that we saw with these approaches, like um, AutoGPT, and we also have in our marketing background, we've we've got significant enterprise experience. So we said, look, we've we've put this AI out there in a consumer type of product, and the consumers couldn't like fully value the technology application the way that enterprise has previously. Let's go back to our roots and think about what companies and enterprises are facing right now in terms of challenges. So um, I did a number of conferences earlier this year uh, where I had keynote speeches on what was happening, Web3, how content marketing is going to change, how AI is playing a role in that, how Google's adapting Microsoft, how you can get ready as a business. And... In the audience, there were a lot of enterprise people and almost everyone I talk to, almost every business, is appointing a VP of AI or C-suite AI position or an AI council. Like that needs to figure out two primary problems. Number one, how do we uh, do um, 
digital transformation, AI transformation in this business. So we stay relevant. So how do we make it practical? How do we align it? Mm-hmm. And the second problem that they have is how do we do that while protecting our data? Because we cannot have our these AIs train on all our company data or employees are using AI uh, you know, outside of our company policy and it's leaking private information in these systems. But you know, how do we control that? So those are like the two primary concerns they have. Well, if you overlap that where, with the, where the future is heading, AI that's able to use tools and intelligence to solve problems, what you basically see emerging is that what is needed in the world right now, right? On the one hand, we're going to get these bigger models that get smarter. I'll talk about that in a minute. Your audience will love to hear about that. Um, but on the other hand, we also need the harness, the power we already have. Like there's this uh, movie my grandmother used to love. Uh, my late grandmother is Black Beauty, like this beautiful untamed horse, Yeah. right? But it's beautiful to look at, but you can't ride it. So good. Not, that's like what how AI feels to a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful horse. We can't ride it. Not secure, not aligned. So how do we actually make that happen? So we figured what is needed is an operating system to harness all these, this universe of intelligence, not a monolithic, huge AI that can solve every problem, but can also decide to do things that you totally did not intend. But instead, um, basically, you can imagine it is the evolution of RPA, like uh, robotic process automation relies a lot on if then else it has it's they're brittle if they encounter something that's not deterministic they're like oh i don't know what to do with this um ai and this decision making and this interpretation and this can take that to an entirely new level so we started making technology first of all to bring our own consumer product into chat gpt and uh, we built technology because we figured out others would want to turn their website into a chat GPT plugin as well. Mm-hmm. And we started noticing there were a set of problems that every company had in common. And that then that grew into a kernel, networking, um, memory, collaboration. And basically, in the Gartner chart, you would see it under multi-agent systems, MAM. It's, uh, it's like the, the hype cycle goes like this. It's like at the beginning of the hype cycle. And so you can think of Smith OS as the evolution of RPA. It's a multi-agent system operating system for AI, but it also integrates with your databases, your existing APIs, and whatever SaaS online that has an API or is an AI company in itself. So it's really a universe of intelligence it can be deployed in the cloud. It can be deployed locally. And when we started looking at what can this do, what what kind of problems can this solve? Um, I mean, we were, it was mind blowing. Right? It's more like what can it not do? <laughs> and um, and so we said, okay, so where are we going to focus? Well, we're going to focus on, well, Nike wants Serena Williams to right to wear their products because that gets a lot of attention. These are like exciting problems to solve. We're gonna direct our beginning phases of Smith OS, uh, not on making a a homework agent for my child (laughs) because it could do that, right? But solving some of the biggest problems the enterprise and government. And when we looked at that, 
it's basically in every organization uh, that they say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Mm -hmm. There is a certain process that is holding you back because it, it's not scalable. And these are the kind of problems that you identify. And in some organizations, those chains can be potentially worth hundreds of millions of dollars to that organization if they can overcome that. Those are the kind of problems that we're starting out with with Smith. Now, the way it works, it's a drag and drop thing. You you put your work chain to get your workflow together with drag and drop components, connect them, and deploy that agent. Then you can give that agent embodiments. Um, you can deploy it as a chatbot on your site, but you can also say deploy to the cloud as an API, or deploy to the server as a background process that just like uh, I don't know this. Um, penetration testing or security monitoring um, you can or, or document analysis and moves it from one database to a CMS after analysis and integrates with the Internet of Things, for example. Um, but you can also imagine in the future, you can deploy these agents to like the metaverse and you could just have a conversation with it. Um, in the future, these agents can be deployed and have a Zoom call or join your podcast and have an interview with you um, or um, you know, send out an email, make a phone call, text message, email, um, and so forth and so on. So what does the future look like? The future looks like um, 10 years from now, there's a trillion dollar company in the stock market that's run by three people. And then an army of agents. Um, what does the future look like? Well, in the past, remote teams were like a weird thing. Now it's like normalized. Five years from now, you're going to have digital colleagues. You're going to be like, hey, what's up? Can you can you format this for me? Sure, no problem. And every agent has like a different skill set. If you look at like a, a skyscraper or something, like a beautiful hotel lobby, you look around, like a rooftop terrace party or something, right? And you imagine what made this happen. It's not alone and afraid. Right. It's a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of tools coming together to create something of value. And that's the problem we have today with an enterprise and adapting and adopting these AI systems, because every little AI is just another one singular singular tool. But you need an operating system to build agents that know how to grab all the tools that you approve where your data is allowed to flow that you control the data and security from. But you need to be able to pull that together to solve real problems. And sometimes, you know, those processes are really well known because companies have done these processes mm -hmm. for a long time. They know exactly how to make Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> and that's their, that's who they are. But then there's a process in there that is just not scalable. So you can go from a... Um, I don't know, 30% profit margin business with an office space, a service business in the United States. You have offices, you have employees, etc. By adopting remote work, right, you can go to a 65, 70% profit margin service business. And with adopting intelligent multi-agent systems, right, uh, powered by Smith OS, you will be able to go to a 95 plus percent service business profit margin business. And VCs have traditionally shunned service businesses because they were not scalable. Mm -hmm. But what happens when service businesses start becoming as profitable as SaaS businesses? All of a sudden you get some really cool returns, right? But 
there's another aspect to this, and that is uh, hypercapitalism. What happens when all your competition moves 10 times faster, is 10 times more efficient, is 10 times more cost efficient? What happens? Well, what happens if the companies who do not adopt this type of automation will be basically left behind? Because mm -hmm. the pressures in the market will be so severe. Um, it's kind of like what people feel when they first time step in a Tesla and they hit like ludicrous mode uh, on the flat and they like hit the gas or like hit the gas, hit the pedal and, <laughs> and they just fly off and they, they go like, and they're like holding themselves, right? Well, this is the kind of G-force, right? You'll like be experiencing in the next five years as a business in terms of how this type of technology can accelerate your business. And so this is what the picture looks like five years from now. And there will be businesses that are slow to adopt it, but their competitors who do adopt it are going to be sitting at 30, 40, 50% better margins than you. How do you stay in business, right? So you have to, you have to do, you have to adopt this. And what I see the future, um, because people are like, well, what's the impact on people and labor and, and employment? Yeah, and which is a huge, huge question right now. But we're underemployed. Uh, so we're overemployed. We have a labor shortage in this country. There are not enough human beings to continue our trajectory of progress and wealth. Mm -hmm. like, like a middle class person in the United States is wealthier than King Solomon ever was. Right? You, Richard and the Pharaohs. Our life is, inf we have better medical care, better entertainment, better everything than the richest people throughout history, right? A poor person in the future will be like Elon Musk today, right? Uh, maybe I should pick another person. <laughs> well, we'll be as rich as Elon Musk in essence. Elon Musk would be considered poor in the future is what you're trying to say. Or are considered average middle class, right? Yeah. <laughs> because you wouldn't have access to um, to like um, age reversal technology, right? Yeah. Like, so there's certain things we don't yet have that we'll just in the future look back at this time and be like, well, okay, so that's an exciting future. But how do we get there? And we don't get there by um, – but, but with a linear line, we get there by augmenting. And there's only so many humans that we can mm -hmm. put through school and, and to do this. And there's only so much hours, so many hours in the day. And you know what? You know, I've got millennials and younger as well at my company. You know, something's very different going on with those generations than previous generations. They actually also want to include their hobby of hiking and make it compatible with their work. They want to live in a van. They want to digital nomad and work a month out of Thailand, Thailand, whatever. So how do you combine quality of life with demanding even more labor from people? Right? You need to have automation to make that possible. So for us to achieve a great future, we need more intelligence, knowledge workers, but there's not enough humans. We have a shortage of labor. And in order for us to have better quality lives that are better balanced, we also need more knowledge worker automation. So the future of Teams is one where everyone can afford an executive assistant. Everyone, well, I, I read a, a tweet. I, I liked and retweeted it. It was funny. Uh, somebody said, like, every time I'm about to send an email to my lawyer, 
there's like a thousand dollars of money that just vanishes in thin air <laughs> when I'm about to hit send. And then I hit send, it's gone. It's just gone, right? We all know what that's like. So what do we do? We cut corners. We should all be doing way more legal due diligence on everything we're doing, but we're not because that's a thousand dollars every time an email goes off. So the future is one of, um, of blended work teams, remote work, but also digital coworkers. And how are you going to create such agents? They're going to run on SmithOS. So the first trillion dollar company that's going to be run by three people, they're going to run that business on SmithOS, all their processes. Oh. So this is what we're building. And this is why we're building it. It's because firsthand we've seen the challenges of enterprise and government up front. Um, and I, I just came from a conference at Austin called the Fed Supernova. It was hosted by the Capital Factory in Austin. All the branches of uh, of the Department of Defense and the SBA were there. And, and this was, it's very much an Uncle Sam needs you moment where we're realizing that the only way the United States remains relevant is by small businesses partnering with government to solve some of the most critical problems that we have. Because in this country, we have some of the best innovation in the world. It's the envy of every country in the world to have our ecosystem of startups and entrepreneurs. And so, again, what I'm noticing is this. I see a thousand companies who all have a little gizmo widget solution. But how do you tie it all together? You need something like SmithOS. And so I heard it at like at least three different panels um, from people this who didn't even know we were working on this, but they were mentioning like we got sensor systems, we got databases, we got research papers, we got logistics factories, we got robots that can move a packet from here and load it in a truck. How do you tie it all together? Right? You need an operating system for a multi-agent. Um, collaborative universe of intelligence, right? And so this is also where Web3 is going. Read, write, web, uh, read, write, execute web, right? Right now where it's all about consuming content in the future, websites are going to be more like actual, actual brands. Like you could talk to a brand. Mm -hmm. Hey, Toyota, tell me what's uh, new. And then this avatar comes up, maybe with your fancy Apple glasses. And it's like, hey, hey, got this car. You want to see it? Sure. Give me a tour. Answering your questions, letting you sit inside, look inside, overcoming your objections, fulfilling an order. Then, then a digital agent that takes you to the finance, finance qualifying part. I mean, all of this just beautifully working together. At some point, maybe noticing a human needs to step in and gracefully uh, transferring it. So this is what it looks, what websites look like, right? And then, and then picture this, right? You're in your sofa and we're in the future. You all have electric cars. I'm going to go with Tesla for now. And you're like, it's, it's, hey, Siri, is my Tesla charged yet? Well, Siri don't know that, but Siri, multi-agent system, can talk to Tesla where you have an account and you've authorized it. So it's like Siri goes like, hey, Tesla, is, is uh, Phil's car charged? And it's Tesla's like, yep, it's 85% ready to go. And so Sierra's like, yeah, Phil, your car's ready. And you're like, all right, pull it up and pull it out, out of the garage into the driveway. So Sierra's like, sure. Hey, Tesla, pull the car up. Right? Tesla's like, no problemo. And then error, obstacle. 
The garage door is closed. All right, traditional RPA systems just totally fail. First of all, I would have to meticulously craft this scenario with if-then-else statements to just make this one scenario work. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, I faced an, an obstacle I don't know how to solve. Well, in the future, in what we're talking about, something different happens. Oh, the garage door is closed. But hey, I also have Phil's Chamberlain account. Garage door. I, hey, Chamberlain, can you open the garage? Because the Tesla's blocked. And, uh, and Chamberlain's like, okay, the garage door is open. And Siri's like, hey, Tesla, try again. Tesla's like, oh, it works this time. So you're still in your sofa. You didn't hear any of that internal collaboration. And you're just like, oh, my car's in the driveway. Thanks, Siri. That's it. That can only work in a future I'm describing. So the entire web becomes like that. That table that just opened at your favorite restaurant, GPT can't know that just opened because somebody left. How's it supposed to know that? It needs to talk to your brand and know, hey, is it something available right now? And that API or execute part of the web needs to be real-time available. Um, the, you cannot expect the AI to just scrape your entire website 500 times a second to, to know what's going on. No, that needs to happen over an API layer, right? Mm -hmm. Smith can build those things for enterprises, can turn your business into an agent. Also, so that's the future of marketing. Extremely personalized, but also collaborating with your favorite digital assistant, right? Um, and um, about, uh, just turning a page a little bit, uh, I think your audience should know this. About the next generation giant models that are going to power this. Google just announced they're going to be investing $25 billion to build the world's first Zeta scale supercomputer. For comparison, Tesla's Dojo system is one-tenth of that. So Google has announced an, a partnership with NVIDIA. Um, but uh, dollar for dollar, the Dojo system gets more out of it, but it's not general purpose. Right now, Dojo is really optimized to train on visual real-world data. Either way, what kind of models do they plan to run on that Zeta scale supercomputer? That's what you should be asking yourself, right? And that's gonna inform as an entrepreneur how you need to move your business forward. Well, picture this. Google had, had has two AI divisions, Google Brain and Google DeepMind. This year, after the code red of GPT, uh, ChatGPT release, they merged. Um, Google's uh, Google's co-founder came like back out of retirement and is personally making sure that initiative works well. What does DeepMind have? DeepMind has all the alpha models: AlphaGo, Alpha Alpha Star, Alpha Fold. Right? What do we know about these models? Well. Let's say a game of StarCraft. It makes synthetic games, it imagines games, it plays against itself, and then it beats the world's best strategists, strategic game, game players, at some of the most incredible difficulty games. Same with Go, same with chess, same with protein folding. It knows how to learn from itself, it learns, knows how to learn from um, synthetic data, and it, and it knows how to improve over time. And, and, and the big difference is compared to GPT, GPT today is like linear thinking. Token, predict next token, predict next token, all right? It's like a linear thing, all right? But 
uh, alpha models from DeepMind instead use this thing called like um, like trees, decision trees. And they use like Monte Carlo trees and so forth to optimize which path to take. So in essence, it is like at this point, Phil, you, you there's a multiverse splitting where you could like take five different actions right now. Oh. And then from there, there's like five more actions. So what what these alpha models do is they create for every problem, they create a multiverse of outcomes, and then they use an algorithm to decide what the ideal outcome is, and then they follow that path. That is what the alpha models can do, all right? So imagine the world's best general, the best strategist that can learn any problem and, and play a thousand scenarios in its mind in a second, where you can only con conceive one and maybe in half an hour. That is the power of al the alpha models from DeepMind. What has Google Brain achieved? The Palm models, some of the most advanced large language systems. The Palm models power Google Bard and so forth and so on. Okay, Gemini, right, twin, right? that's their baby. The next generation of Google's AI is gonna be a baby between the alpha models that have very advanced strategic thinking, online learning, synthetic data, and weak supervision, online learning, merged with the power of large language model that show emergent behaviors at these scales. You put Jesus. the two together, and that is why Google is building a Zeta scale computer so there will be three types of personal assistance. One will be one for your work that will read all your emails, documents, calendar, and will make you very productive, but they will still need to integrate with different SaaS and different businesses. And that will happen over APIs, the read, write, execute web. Smith can help your business transition and, and, and play well with those work assistants. The second type of assistant is going to be, let's just, kick, let's just call it your companion AI. The one that casually like it's hangs theory, out with you, right? He handles everything for you in your regular life. But no, I would I would classify Siri more in that first category, okay. like a professional one that reads your calendar and stuff. This one is companionship, right? All the way to um, people trying to marry their AI mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And then you've got a third category, which uh, which I really love, and it's called like digital twins. So a digital twin is someone who um, is part of every conversation. It's recorded, transcribed, uh, reads the same news sources you read, and interprets it. I already have a digital twin running in my company. And when I'm not available, my team can ask my digital twin, what would Alexander say on this topic? Or present it with a YouTube video that I haven't watched yet and say, like, Alexander, please analyze this and tell me what this means. So... That is whenever I'm in meetings and I'm not available to my team, I can make sure I'm still available to them. And the best culture, pop culture analogy to this is like when Superman needs advice, he goes to the Fortress of Solitude and he goes talk to his, to his, his long dead family member for advice who's like wise and so forth and so on. So digital twins are going to become another category of these, right? And then beyond that, you're going to have... Um, you're basically, you're going to have all these um, workflow automations, right? Like the ones that Smith OS will help enterprise and companies materialize. So this is the future where we're heading, right? And so this is also why we need to, I'd say like graduate from consumer-based, hey, I can help you write some better SEO copy. 
to something that can do the same thing, but inside an entire workflow. How do you create content? Your research, your SEO research, you create a brief, you get approval for the brief, you write it, you edit it, you have legal review, maybe you have like sensitivity or company value like review, um, you source images, uh, you put it all together and publish it. Right? This is what I'm talking about, right? A lot of these AI tools that are out there will solve one of those problems. Yeah. They will not end-to-end -end do anything at scale for you. So how can you achieve anything like really meaningful? The world is way more complicated now than alone and afraid. Right? And so we I, what I see is a future where every webs website, every .com, every website will basically be great at one thing. And that one thing, they will need to be make sure that they brand themselves around that one thing so that the future AI assistants, when they have two places where they can book your hotel room for from, that they choose yours. How do you make that happen? So my simple advice to everyone who's not high tech and to all, wait, all of this may sound intimidating to you, right? The thing you got to do today is make sure your brand better well be known for that one thing you do as the best in the world. And whether that is content marketing, branding, uh, PR, making your one thing even better, forget about all the little other things you do. Because you know what? That AI assistant will have 50 other SaaS companies to choose that one thing, that side thing, that does that side thing better than you do that side thing. Mm -hmm. So you need to focus and double down on making sure that when somebody says that one thing, that one thing, they automatically assume you. You have to become what's called a category king for one thing. <laughs> Alex, my God, I this has been a, a masterclass. I feel like I, uh, I've seen the future um, and it's not even here yet. Um, I do have the spark question because we are uh, ending the show shortly. So I'm going to get your spark question, then I'm going to jump off screen and let you let everybody know where they can follow you to see where it's going in Smith OS. Cause I'm, I'm in, in, I love the idea of Smith OS because I do believe like the future will be trillion dollar companies run by three people. But what advice would you give your 10 year old self? Okay. So there's a song from Radiohead called fake plastic trees. Mm -hmm. And we, we are wearing fake plastic smiles and we decorate our office with fake plastic plants and, and water them with fake plastic watering cans. And so the lyric goes, we are trying to mold ourselves to be what everybody in the world expects us to be. And in doing so, we're always thinking about what other people, what will make other people happy. And so the beautiful thing about a child, the 10 year old self is that if you want to dance, you dance. If you want to sing, you sing. If you want to color, you color and your, your authentic self. And it is important as you grow up, so my advice would be this, right? As you grow up, don't forget who you really are because you can be so molded by everyone around you that you forget who you really are. And I think that if you're an entrepreneur and today you're doing something that you're not passionate about just because it will, you think it's gonna make you money <laughs> or you think it's what other people want, then you're not being your true self. So make sure that you reflect on who you are. Otherwise, like the lyrics in that song go, will wear you out. 
And the only way to do great work is to be really passionately excited about what you do. When you wake up, you think to yourself, would I play League of Legends? Would I go to the beach? Or would I work on this problem? And if your thing that you're working on is not more exciting than all the other things you can think of, you're not going to have the energy to achieve greatness. Jeez, that is some great advice to a 10-year-old self. Alex, I'm going to jump off screen here. Please let my audience know where they can follow you, connect with you, and stay up to date with Smith uh, OS. Yeah, so our website is smithos.com. Um, that's the best place to stay up to date with the with the brand. You can, from there, find all the relevant links. My LinkedIn is A.D. Ritter, A-D-R-I-D-D-E-R. That's also my Twitter handle. So I post on LinkedIn and Twitter. Feel free to shoot me a message if you want to connect. Um, love to stay in touch with you. Excellent. Alex, I can't thank you enough for this amazing look into the future uh, with what Smith OS is going to be doing for companies and how businesses now should be starting planning for the future to have those uh, agents and uh, become the branded for a specific thing that they do. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, of course, make sure you check out the show notes down below so that you can stay connected with Alex and the show. And remember to always invest in yourself.